right, I'm reading Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift, drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you. All right. So we began this series in Hebrews called Greater. And last week as we began it, there were really two big ideas that we began to think about as we're walking through this book. And the first one is that the more clearly you see Jesus, the more fully you understand God. So most of us uh, drove in the rain this past week, right? Raise your hand if you drove in the rain at some point this week. Of course you did. Um, So the book of Hebrews is like a set of windshield wipers that wipes the rain and the debris off of the glass of life so that you can see where you are going in your walk with God. The more clearly you see Jesus, the more fully you understand God. Uh, A second big idea that is a thread that runs throughout this book is most like the morality of Jesus, a good guy, we would agree with most of the things that he speaks about morally. Most would say, yes, Jesus was a revolutionary, but worship happens when you see the majesty of Jesus. So the book of Hebrews is written by this author to help the readers see the majesty of Jesus. And last week we saw in the first four verses things like Jesus is the heir of all things. Whereas Israel was the heir of a promised land, Jesus is the heir of all things. Jesus is the uh, bright manifestation of God's glory, it also said, and the exact imprint of God. And the passage told us that Jesus is still involved in the world through the Holy Spirit. And so if you're interested in hearing that talk, you can go back and listen to it at podcast.neartownchurch.org, or we have it on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, or they're still there. You can go check them out if you want. Well, here we are today in uh, Hebrews. Jeannie read chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, but we're really going to look at verses 5 and following into chapter 2. Now, remember that the author of Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians living near Rome in Italy, and the reason that he's writing to them is because they're experiencing persecution for their faith. They're struggling. So the letter is written less like a letter and more like a sermon to be spoken, and it's about them being able to see Jesus more clearly. And throughout the letter, and we'll see one today, they are warned because the, uh, warned, uh, from the consequences of drifting from their faith. So I want you to think about this idea of drifting, okay? So imagine that uh, you, you picked a Saturday, beautiful Saturday, to go with your family, and you're going to go to that illustrious uh, tropical island that we have nearby, Galveston. And so you're going to go to Galveston, and on your way down there, you collect family and friends and all the needed supplies. You stop at Walgreens, and you go, and you get one of those big swan floats. All right? Have you ever seen one of those things? Now you have. Okay, so you, so you get a big swan float, and you blow that thing up as people are unpacking, getting out on the beach. You're excited about getting on this float, and you decide you're going to be the first one on the float. So here you are at the beach, in the water, you're on the float, and you, you're enjoying your time, but there's something that you must be mindful of. What is it? Sharks? Oh, how about drifting too far out? 
right? That would be something that you would need to be mindful of. Theoretically, if you drift out long enough without yourself recognizing it or anyone else noticing what's going to happen, you're lost at sea. So think about this idea of drifting because what the author of Hebrews is going to say in verse one of chapter two, he says, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift from it. So the section is a warning by the author of Hebrews not to drift away from the message of Jesus toward, uh, as, as a drift away from the message of Jesus toward the message of the angels. So here's the main idea thing we're going to work on today. We must remain anchored to Jesus Christ so we do not drift from God. So some of you are here, and you are not yet uh, followers of Christ. You do not believe Jesus is God in the flesh. And I'm so grateful that every single week we have people here that are kind of exploring the claims of Christianity. And the way we invite you to explore it is I just open the Bible, try to teach it to you, and, and help you to understand what it means. And then the work of God in this place through His Spirit is to reveal in your heart whether or not you have belief. But the claim this morning and what we're going to get at and what's revealed in the Bible is that we must remain anchored to Jesus Christ so we do not drift from God. So here he talks about angels. Everybody say angels. So let me talk a little bit about angels. It's an interesting topic of conversation. There was a survey done by uh, the Baylor Religion uh, Group, and, and it's been a little while, but it's uh, in 2007. And the group surveyed 60% of them uh, absolutely believe that angels existed. And another 20%, totaling 80%, would say at least that angels probably do exist. So most people believe in the existence of something like an angel. And in fact, in this survey, over half the people uh, believe that there was a moment in their life where they were protected from harm at least once by some kind of guardian angel. And we would know that this concept of angels is popular in our culture. I mean, think about our books and our movies and our plays and our televisions. They're full of them, some of the most popular ones. I don't watch TV. I typically am just reading my Bible, but, you know, whatever, for some of you all. The Bible does talk about... Um, uh, the Bible does talk about angels uh, quite a number of times. And so in the Bible, and this is a really quick sort of explanation of what the Bible says about angels, and it could be a whole sermon, but the, the Bible says that angels are beings created by God prior to God creating the first humans. The Bible also says that there's a multitude of angels and that they were created as ministers. They were created to serve God. We'll see that in just a moment. Well, at some point... One of the angels, who we'll call Satan, led a rebellion, and this angel and a third of all created angels were cast out of heaven. So when you think about good angels and bad angels, the bad angels are the one that were cast out of heaven, and the bad angels would be the type of angel that we would think about when we say the word demon. And so there's much evidence in the Bible that there is a spiritual battle in our world uh, in, in the spiritual realm between good angels and bad angels. Okay, Again, more could be said about that, and I'm sure that you're thinking, wow, I'm interested in that. I want to hear more about that and maybe um, someday later. But one of the things that you need to understand about this idea of angels and the reason that the author of Hebrews brings it up is because the Jewish people believe that the message that came to the prophets was delivered by angels. And it's interesting, right? 
we see in uh, chapter 1, verse 7, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. So the, the angels are ministers. And then you see a little bit later in chapter 2, verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? So there are other passages, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4, Jude 6, where the New Testament authors uh, sort of acknowledge that the message that's given in the Old Testament, there is a sense in which it's delivered by the angels to the prophets. And it's an interesting, of course, conversation. But the Jewish people that the author of Hebrews is writing to, when he is saying to them, uh, hey, Jesus is greater than the angels. It's not because they were going to worship the angels. It's because they were going back to the message that they perceived was received from the angels. Okay, now you're wondering, well, what's the difference in the angels and the Holy Spirit? And let me just help you here. The angels guide, the Spirit instructs. The angels suggest, the Spirit convinces Okay, so the angels are messengers or ministers sent by God who is one being three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? So the Jewish people understood that the angels were messengers, and they believed the rules of the Jewish faith were given by God through the angels. Uh, Another example, Acts chapter 7, Stephen is standing before a bunch of Israelites, and he's basically giving them their own history, and he's saying to them as a part of their history, chapter 7, verse 53, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So he's chastising them or chiding them, rebuking them because they rejected the message given by God, uh, delivered by the angels and the power of the Holy Spirit. So uh, the angels are an important part of how we think about receiving the Old Testament. Chapter 2, verse 1, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. Again, there is this evidence that the Jewish people believe that the Old Testament was received, uh, and somehow the angels participated in that. So they weren't tempted to drift from the faith in Jesus for salvation for the worship of angels. Instead, they're drifting toward the rules of the Old Covenant given by the angels. Do you understand that's an important distinction? So they're not going and worshiping angels. They're going and worshiping or living by the old set of rules that they believe was given by the angels. Okay, so the old set of rules. Here's basically what the old set of rules was. The Mosaic Law went essentially like this. If you follow the rules perfectly, you'll be counted as righteous. If you obey all the rules, you'll be blessed. If you disobey the rules, you'll be cursed. That's a essential summary of the Old Testament law. Of course, there's more nuance to it. So when the author of Hebrews is writing to them and basically going to tell them that Jesus is greater than the angels, so why would you go back to that? He's saying, don't go back to the Old Testament way where you have got to be perfect to be counted as righteous before God. You get it? If they do that, then essentially what's happening is that the gift of salvation that's made available by Christ is diminished. So by drifting away from Jesus as Savior, they're drifting from salvation. Now, I want you to know that there's something happening here where drifting means like apostasy. Like it's not like a casual drift. Like the it's not like it's kind of a barely slipping away. He, he actually, the word here means like you drift off the sea on your floaty and you're never to be seen again. You are so far from the, the secure shore of who Jesus Christ is and faith in Christ that you're dead, you're lost. 
in chapter 2, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? We drift from the truth about who Jesus is. An example of someone that uh, we would certainly consider as being drifted is someone by like Charles Darwin. So in, in his autobiography, Charles Darwin wrote, I gr- came to gradually disbelieve in Christianity as a divine revelation. Disbelief crept over me at a very slow rate. In other words, he kind of slowly left the shore of belief. But at last it was complete, he says. The rate was so slow that I felt no distress and have never since doubted even for a single second that my conclusion was correct. Well, the author of Hebrews writes to warn the Jewish Christians that returning to this old law meant that they did not secure for themselves the hope of the resurrection. You see, the the hope of the resurrection is that you get to be freed from the law of sin and death. But if they are going to submit themselves again to the yoke of slavery, Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. But these Jewish Christians were struggling. Here's what really was happening. They were struggling. They were suffering. And their faith to them was very new. They were unsure of it. And so they began to go to what was familiar. And that struggle is real, right? The current of suffering pulled them to their former way of living. And the author of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is greater than all that, but the reality is all of us are tempted at times to that former way of living. All of us are. Let me ask you a question. When you struggle or suffer in your faith, what other messages become appealing? So here you are, you're, you're like with Jesus, you're doing the church thing, you're starting to explore in Christianity and see a little more clearly who Jesus is as revealed by the Bible. And then something happens that's difficult. You struggle. You lose somebody that you love, and you wonder, how could God allow that to happen? You have a tough day. You hit a financial crisis. You encounter somebody that has a really good argument as to why what you believe is not true. And all that shocks you to the point of going, you know what? I'm just going to go to my old way of living. When you struggle or suffer in your faith, what other messages become appealing? Here's one for the moms. You know, you're a Christian. For those of you that are Christians, you, you believe in your identity in Christ because you are saved by the work of Christ, what Christ has done, not what you've done, right? That's the Christian gospel. But what happens when being a mom gets tough? You might drift towards believing that who you are is defined by how your kids behave. Or worse, you might begin to think that you are, in fact, the Messiah in your home. You're the one that it's all dependent upon for your kids' little hearts to be transformed. I would say to you that that's a drift away from Christ. Because your identity is in Christ, and you are not the Messiah of your home. Not all of you are mothers. Most of you are not. So maybe there are those of you that you have a new, refreshed faith in Jesus 
for salvation, which means that for you, you have the hope of eternity with God. You, you know, because the Bible teaches it, that you get to stand before Jesus someday and your sins aren't counted against you. In fact, they've been erased because of what Christ did on the cross, is shed blood on the cross. You know that, and so you have hope, you have wisdom, you have direction, and you have purpose. But what happens when that faith is opposed by people you trust or your faith is considered countercultural? What happens? Will you drift towards those other voices? Will you drift back to the old way of life when things get difficult and when you've had a hard time seeing God in all of it? See, all of us are tempted to drift. The author of Hebrews is writing to a group of people and nowhere does he say, hey, you shouldn't be struggling. Suck it up. Life really isn't all that bad. No, in fact, what he says is, hey, here's how you deal with it whenever you are suffering. Here is what you do when you are struggling. You, in fact, the only thing to do is not to focus on the struggle. The thing to do is to focus on Jesus. Who is he? There is a current a struggle and suffering in which all of us stand every single day that can pull us away from Jesus. But you do not have to drift. You do not have to drift away. And so what he does in this first part or the second part of uh, chapter one is he lists out more things that are true about Jesus. So this morning, I'm not going to focus on your struggle or focus on your suffering, although I know that's real. My offering to you this morning is to say, let's focus on who Jesus is. And the conclusion is going to be, he is greater than all of that. He's greater than your struggle. He's greater than your suffering. He's greater than the thing that you want to drift to because it's familiar. Or that's the way you've always done it. Here are the things. Look at verse 5 of chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews. We see that the relationship with father and Jesus is like that of father and son. And what the author is going to say is, that's not true of the angels, it's only true of Jesus. Verse five, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten you. That's a reference from Psalm chapter two, verse seven, which is a messianic psalm. And so most scholars believe that it's a psalm written that helps us anticipate the arrival of the Messiah. And so we're gonna hear kind of like bang, bang, bang in all of these passages. Uh, truths about Jesus that are found in the Old Testament. Going on in verse 5. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So the language here is not a random use of the word son. Instead, son is defined by the Old Testament passages to talk about a son ruling and reigning over all. So for those of you that have an appreciation for who Jesus is as a good man, you ought to know the New Testament Jesus, uh, the New Testament I just said cheese. Uh, What am I saying here? I'm so lost right now. Um, The New Testament teaches. That's what I was looking for. The New Testament teaches. um, You still love me? Okay, cool. Um, The New Testament teaches that Jesus is more than a man. He is, his relationship with the Father in the triune God is a special relationship. Look there at verse 6. The angels, a lesser being, worship Jesus, the greater being. So again, the, the, our, the conversation here is, is, is the message from the angels better or greater than the message from Jesus? And in verse 6, it says, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. There's so much here. Go on to verse 8. Jesus rules as the anointed king forever. The angels don't. Verse 8, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. This is a reference from Psalm 45. 
Verse 9, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Jesus is greater than the angels. He's greater than the message of the angels. And so he's telling the readers, don't go back to that message because Jesus is greater. And I would say to you, whatever you're tended, tending to drift toward in the midst of your struggle, Jesus is greater. Jesus is the anointed king forever. You see in verses 10 through 12 that Jesus is eternally involved in creation, past, present, and future. You can say, I don't believe this about Jesus. You cannot say, the Bible doesn't say this about Jesus. And what we believe is that the Bible is God's inspired word for us, and it reveals something to be true about who Jesus is. And it says here in verses 10 through 12, Jesus is eternally involved in creation, past, present, future. Here we go. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. It's a, um, a quotation of Psalm chapter 102, verses 25 through 27. Verse 11 says, they will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like garment, like a robe. You'll roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years have no end. Jesus is greater than the angels because he's the creator of all, because he is eternal in contrast to the created world, which the angels are a part of. And then in verse 13, he says again, and we saw this in the first few verses of the chapter uh, last week, he, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. Verse 13, look, and to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool? So what the author is doing is he's taking these Old Testament passages, which are messianic or help us anticipate the Messiah, and he's putting them in order and saying, these things are true about Jesus. Like, let's not be unclear about what he's saying. He is saying Jesus is God in the flesh, King Eternal was involved in creation, has always existed, will always exist. And so the author is not wanting to mince words. He's not wanting to be unclear. He's hitting it like bang, bang, bang. These are links in the chain to the anchor that is Jesus. These are links to the chain to the anchor that is Jesus. These are truths that hold us to that. And here's the thing. The more clearly you see how awesome Jesus is, the more fully you will become a worshiper of Jesus. In a favorite movie, The Chronicles of Narnia, there's this scene. Um, you know this movie. It's C.S. Lewis. It's spiritual allegory. There's a scene where the young girl Lucy is sent on a great mission by the Christ figure named Aslan, right? And he is a lion. So as she travels by night, she notices this great beast sitting on a hill, illumined by a full moon. And excitedly, she runs to him and he, she throws herself into his soft, silky mane. And Aslan rolls over and Lucy finds herself laying between his paws nestled up against him, looking into his large face. And she says this, Aslan, you're bigger. This majestic creature answers, that's because you're older, little one. And she's a bit confused, and she says, not because you are. And Aslan says, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. The author of Hebrews is wanting those readers to find, to see Jesus more clearly, 
find him bigger. How do you deal in the midst of struggling and suffering? Are you, are you drifting towards a familiar way, an other way? Or will you stay anchored to Jesus, who is big and beautiful and capable of being with you in the midst of whatever current is trying to draw you out to sea? We, may, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift from it. So if you were to go to Galveston, uh, there are some warning signs. And... Um, these warning signs are meant to protect us, right, from danger and death. Have you seen the warning sign? It's not working there. I have an image. Just imagine it. It's a warning sign. And so it would say, like, strong current, right? And so you can ignore the warning sign, and people do. And they, they go out into the water, and it's oftentimes dangerous for them. And here's the thing about warning signs, and this is what the author is doing. Is he's giving a warning. He's saying, hey, pay close attention to what we have heard, to what's being said about Jesus to what Jesus said about himself, to what other people said about him, and then also what God has confirmed through miracles is what, what he's saying here in these first four verses. He's saying, be, be warned by these. And warnings are not designed to rob people of hope, right? The warnings on the beach in Galveston are not designed to keep people from having a good time, but it's to steer people away from danger in order to preserve them so that they might uh, experience a great joy, right? This is what the author's doing. Read a story about a a woman and her child, and she was actually on a float, much like the one I showed at the beginning. And um, they're in the Gulf, but on the Florida side. And um, there's this woman. She's with her seven-year-old son, and they and they begin to be swept out into the Gulf of Mexico. And she tells the story like everything was calm, and the next thing I know. I am so far off of the beach. I've drifted so far away that, uh, that I couldn't do anything about it. I was paddling. I was trying to get back, but I couldn't do anything about it. And she said, I was just exhausted. And I laid there and I began to weep. And my seven-year-old child is like, you know, what's up? <laughs> and, uh, and fortunately, though, there were some people on the shore that noticed. And, of course, they called 911. And a rescue boat came out and got her. And when she got back to shore, she... Uh, she popped that swan. <laughs> she murdered the swan so that she could no longer drift out to sea. And here's what I know, that some of you are drifting. Some of you are drifting, and the question for you is, what are you drifting toward? Is that thing greater than Jesus? You see, to prevent the drift, you must be anchored to Jesus. And, and I've listed off five or so kind of links to that chain so you can be anchored in Jesus. And the question is, do you believe? To those that are drifting, in what strong currents are you choosing to put yourself in? What warning signs are you choosing to ignore? And maybe you keep getting swept off again and again and again. I want you to know that that does happen where you begin to be swept off and then you're able to kind of bring yourself back, okay? But eventually what will happen, and this is what the author of Hebrews is warning, is that you'll be swept so far off you'll be gone and nobody will notice. But for some of you, you continue to put yourself in those strong currents quite ignorantly and, 
and maybe the moment for you is, well, I don't want to drift from my faith in Jesus, but I keep putting myself in this type of relationship, or I keep using this type of, uh, or behaving in this type of way, and it, all it does is result in me drifting further and further and further away from Jesus. And I would say to you, like, why do you continue to ignore the warning signs? For those of you that are drifting, I want you to know there's grace and there's mercy. What are you drifting toward? And no matter what it is, I want you to know that Jesus is greater. For those of you that are drifting, I want you to know that God cares, God knows, we know, we care. And maybe you're not drifting right now, but you know someone that's drifting. I think of that story of that woman and her seven-year-old child on that swan float drifting out. Can you imagine if she started screaming out for help, or even if she didn't scream out for help, and there were people on the side, and they were going, wow, she's drifting off. Can you believe it? I can't believe she's drifting off. Well, you know, she used to be so close to the shore, but look at her now, you know. You know, if she just attended church more, she maybe wouldn't be drifting so far. I mean, can you imagine that? But that's what happens sometimes, right? Some of you all know people who are drifting, and rather than extending grace and love and sending help and rescue, what you do is just stand back and go, oh, I'm afraid that I don't want to get involved. You know what's worse than offending someone? Them drowning. And so for those of us that are in Christ that believe in the purpose of the church and the role of the church uh, is, and I think of the passage in Corinthians 16, 4, where it says, let all that you do be done in love. Like if you know somebody that's drifting, a very loving thing that you can do is go, hey, we're going to send help or hey, I'm going to come help. Hey, we need a rescue boat here because this person is too far off. They're in a relationship that's really bad and unhealthy or they're making decisions that are bad and unhealthy, et cetera, et cetera. So for those of you that are drifting, there is grace. God cares and we care. For those of you that know someone that's drifting, let's be the hands and feet of Jesus, extending love and continuing to reach out to these people. You say, Russell, all of this, this conversation about drifting and being far from the shore, maybe for you, you're sitting here and you're like, I do not know what to do. Here's the good news of the gospel. If you have stepped away from God for, if you've drifted for 10 minutes, 10 hours, 10 months, whatever it is, it doesn't take that long for you to be right back with Jesus. The gospel is good news. And what it says is, if you confess your sin, God is righteous and he will forgive you of your sin. God is not on the shore going, well, you dummy, you did it again. Good luck. Hope you can swim good. You're in trouble. Me and Jesus, we're over here. <laughs> no. God is saying, I got you. I got you. You just got to ask for help. So this author of Hebrews, I wonder when he wrote this letter to those that were drifting, when they very first heard it, they're struggling, they're suffering, they're, they're wondering if they ought to go back to the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, which is uh, they have to be perfect in hopes of righteousness, a hope of being approved as righteous, the Old Testament way. 
I wonder if when they heard these things about who Jesus is, I wonder if they were swept up into it and saw more clearly who Jesus is and became worshipers of Jesus in a new way. I suspect that they did, some of them. And I hope that you will, all of us. So I just want to give you a couple of calls to action and then I'm going to pray and be done and we're going to have a whole response time. But uh, you say, well, what do I do here, Russell? Really practical. Here's what I would say that you want to do so that you can stay anchored to Jesus or you can you know, be, be drawn back into Jesus or be kept from drifting, however you want to think about it. I want you to take one of these truths that the author of Hebrews says, and I want you to memorize it. I want you to commit it to memory. So that's a call to action, very tangible, something that you can do, right? So take one of the truths in this passage and just commit it to memory. And as an alternate call to action, what I would ask you to do is be courageous, taking a step into to a relationship with a couple of different people and invite them to watch your life in case you begin to drift. Now that takes a lot of courage, but that is a role of the church is we get to be a part of each other's lives in a way where we're giving each other permission to say, hey, I want you to help me to see what I might not see about myself. I don't want to be 100 yards offshore and not know it. There better be somebody around me to going, hey, buddy, you're drifting. And I've had people like that in my life, and it can be a painful conversation, but thank God it is oftentimes will save you from drifting off to sea. So two things you can do just as action steps as you begin to think about how you're going to respond. Commit one of these truths about Jesus to memory. It'll be a link in the change keeping you anchored to Jesus and is an alternate call to action that I want you to take some time this week, reach out to two different people and say, hey, would you be willing to watch my life? And I invite you into that conversation. And then if somebody calls you, you say yes. That's one thing we get to do as a church, all right? So let's bow our heads and think about these things. So my question for you again, is have you drifted? What are you drifting toward? The author of Hebrews would say, Jesus is greater. In fact, the weeks to come are really going to be that message also. For those of you that recognize, I have drifted, here's what you do. Right where you are, tell God. Confess it to him. And I want you to confess it to him and talk to him as uh, a child would talk to a loving father or a loving mother. Just tell him. For those of you that know somebody that's drifting, I just want you during our response time to take a moment and pray for them. Pray that God would rescue them. Pray that God would give you wisdom as you think about how to be a part of that rescue. God Almighty, I confess to you that there are times where I am drawn out to see there are times when I don't feel anchored to Christ, God. 
I think that may be true of all of us. And so, God, I pray that even today for those that, that are drifting, they're drifting from faith in Christ, believing that salvation is in Christ alone. I pray, God, that today that these truths delivered by the author of Hebrews about who Jesus is will help us to put our trust and faith in Jesus in a new way. God, there are some here that have questions or unclear about some of these claims about who Jesus is. I pray that they'd have the courage to ask and to think about it. God, I, I sure hope that you won't allow them to drift so far out without asking these questions, God. God, thank you for the message of the gospel, which is continually telling us that though we are all drawn to other things, that by the, your grace, we can come freely to Christ as Savior. Mm-hmm.